0: I'd you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we are so grateful for this privilege now of studying together your holy word. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. It's the season of epiphany. An epiphany means a manifestation of God. Typically, when we think of epiphany, we are reminded of the day, January the 6th. That's the end of the 12 days of Christmas, when the wise men appear to see the baby Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we studied the scripture from Matthew of the wise men. But epiphanies were not limited to the story of the wise men. Manifestations of God occur throughout the Scripture where God reveals God's self to us in some amazing ways. Last week, for example, we looked at John chapter 2, the very first miracle that Jesus performed of turning the water to wine at Cana of Galilee, at a wedding, at a celebration. But one of my favorite epiphanies actually is in Exodus 3, which is the story of the burning bush, when God speaks out and calls Moses to go deliver the children of Israel. So Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, let's hear the story together. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and see this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites the Hittites the Amorites the Perizzites the Hivites and the Jebusites the cry of the Israelites has now come to me i've also seen how the egyptians oppressed them so come i will send you to pharaoh to bring my people the israelites Out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am, has sent me. To you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The God, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. See, the children of Israel found themselves enslaved in Egypt Now, if you go to the book of Genesis, you'll see the story of how there was a famine in the land, but there was food in Egypt. So Jacob sends his family to Egypt. They end up arriving there, staying there under the protection and care of Joseph, and they are blessed and they are nurtured and cared for through the famine. But the problem is... They began to grow in numbers. They began to multiply. And a new Pharaoh arose over Egypt who was threatened by the size of the Hebrew people, the numbers of the Israelites, and was so concerned they'll begin to overwhelm us and and they'll take over us. So they're now taken into captivity. They are enslaved. They're forced to make bricks and mortar so that the Pharaoh can build his kingdom. And they are abused and they are oppressed in so many ways. And they cry out to God. And God hears them. So we're told that one day Moses, a shepherd taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, who was the priest of Midian, He's out just with his sheep. You can imagine. I'm a very visual person. So when I read the scripture, I have to see what's going on. And and you can just imagine Moses is minding his own business, looking at the sheep, periodically counting. One, two, three, four. Where is that other one? Get back over here. Working with the sheep. When all of a sudden he notices there's a bush that's on fire. Now that's not what really called his attention because you're in the wilderness area. Okay, so a bush is, is now on fire. What called his attention was it never burned up. And this was before the invention of gas logs. And so that just amazed him. It just seemed to burn, but was never consumed. And he pays attention. And when God sees that he's paying attention, God calls to him, Moses. Moses. And he answers, here I am. And and God said to him, now, now stop. Take off your shoes. Because the place on which you're standing is holy ground. God speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. Now fire has, has been used then throughout the scripture as a sign of the presence of God. You'll see it again, for example, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, when you hear now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in a fire. Smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln where the whole mountain shook violently. And again in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And then you may remember as well in Acts chapter 2, you have the beautiful story of Pentecost with the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it said, And suddenly from heaven there came the sound like a rush of a violent wind, and the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So God speaks to him out of a fire and goes, now wait, don't come any closer, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And then God shares with him, I've I've heard the cry, I've heard the cry of the children of Israel And, and I've witnessed how the Egyptians have oppressed them and I have come to deliver them. And I want you to be the one now to go to the Pharaoh. And, and, and I love this because Moses goes, wait a minute, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who am I that I should go? I mean, isn't that typically our response? You know, who, me? Surely there's somebody else. And, and, and God then says, well, wait a minute, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And then you're going to hear Moses say, but God... When I go, if I go and I just go, you know, God sent me, what's your name? How can I do that? And, and God gives him the name. My name is I am that I am. And we often read the scripture and, and I love the scripture. And oftentimes when we read it, we focus on the call story story. Of Moses. God calls Moses, he resists, God calls him again, there are some signs, and then finally Moses goes. We studied this just a couple of years ago here in, in this congregation, but today, in the sense of epiphany, a manifestation of God, a theophany, a revelation of God, I want us to look what did we learn about God? We can learn so much about God in this passage of Scripture. I mean, God wants us to know him and God reveals himself to us in so many ways throughout the scripture. And in this scripture and in this interaction with Moses, we learn so much about God, such as God is holy. God is holy. Now he says to Moses, stop, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy ground. But what made it holy was not the geography. What made the ground holy was the presence of God in the midst of it. It's wherever God is at work, that is holy ground. As a matter of fact, I have a friend of mine that when she preaches, she takes off her shoes when she steps up into the pulpit. And what's funny about it is sometimes when she shows up at a church and, and, and they don't know the story, you know, they'll go, I can't believe the preacher took off her shoes and got up there in the pulpit. You know how you know, we are in the congregation. I just can't believe she's doing that barefooted right there in the pulpit until... They hear the story where she has shared, I can't imagine anywhere more holy than being able to stand in the house of God, at a pulpit of God, to be able to preach and proclaim the word of God. I can't imagine a more holy place. And therefore, when I preach, I take off my shoes. Then everybody changes their mind and goes, we just love the fact that when she preaches, she takes her shoes off. Holy ground. What makes it holy Is what God is doing in the place. I'll never forget my very first church that I was serving. We were going to do a wedding, and I I showed up for the rehearsal, and the director had come in early and Everything in the sanctuary had been removed. The tapestry that was behind the the chancel area, it had been taken down. The altar table had been taken out into the side room. The pulpit had been taken out into another side room. And the altar rails were designed to come up for various reasons, such as when you had funerals and other things. The altar rails had been taken up and moved out into a side room. It just looked like an auditorium. And I just stopped and I said, we're, we're not doing anything. We're not about to start the ceremony until all of that comes back in here. And they said, well, why? Because I wanted to put up flowers and candles and all these things. I went, but this is holy ground. It's one of the reasons I love a sanctuary is... There ought to be one place in our world where we feel like we need to take off our shoes, that we're on holy ground. And what makes it holy is not the geography or the architecture or the decorations or the design. It's the fact that this is where God is worshipped, where sacraments are performed and shared and celebrated. It's holy ground because God is holy. And we learn, Moses, wait a minute, before you go any farther, you've got to recognize this is a holy thing. You're on holy ground because the holy God is here. The other thing we learn in this epiphany, this manifestation of God, is our God is relational Our God is watching what's going on in our world. Our God is listening to what's going on in our lives. Our God sees when we're hurting and our God sees when we're mourning and our God sees when we're oppressed and our God sees when we're celebrating. God is a relational God and God is moved by his people. God so loves the world that God is moved. By what's happening in our lives and by what's happening in our world. We have a relational God. Terence Fredheim, great Old Testament scholar in his commentary on Exodus says, The holy God enters into the suffering of the people and makes it his own. The holy God enters into the suffering of the people and makes it his own. That's the kind of God we have. Not a distant God that is so removed that barely cares. We have a God who intimately cares and is relational with you. Here's your cries. Here's your laughter. Wipes your tears, as we're told in Revelation That's why I love the 23rd Psalm. Actually, it's verse 4 that's my favorite part of the 23rd Psalm that says, And even though I walk through the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're right here with me. We have a God who is engaged in our lives. And then this epiphany, this manifestation of God, God identifies himself. He said, I'm the God of your father. Now catch that. You've heard me say many times. I think we read the Bible sometimes way too fast. We often hear that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But notice there was a line before God shared, I'm the God of the patriarchs. He looks at Moses and goes, I am the God of your father, the house where your father lived the faith of your family, the faith of your home. God identifies, I'm the God who made a covenant with Abraham that I will be your God and you'll be my people. This is who's speaking to you right now. The same God who spoke to Abraham. Moses is now speaking to you. And that's the God who speaks to you and to me wherever we are. Our God is Relational, and our God identifies, this is who I am. But the other thing I love that God reveals, the epiphany, the manifestation in the Scripture, is we have a God who acts. He doesn't simply go, I've seen what's going on and I just think it's terrible. No. No. God said, I've come to deliver them. I want you to catch that because he calls Moses. But what he actually says is, I have come to deliver them. This is a God thing. God is going to be doing the acting. So watch when you read the rest of Exodus and you hear the miracles, the plagues, the dividing, the Red Sea, the feeding. It's a God thing. God is going to get involved. Our God is not a distant, removed God, but an intimate God who not only feels and is relational, but is willing to do something. Your God is willing to be involved in your life. It's an epiphany. This is the kind of God that you are worshiping right now. And yes, he then calls Moses But how does he call Moses and how does he call us? He calls us to be a vessel. I'm going to do something, but I want you to be the vessel that I use. So I'm going to send you to the Pharaoh. But he was always, listen to what God is saying. And God's telling him, now do this and do that. God is the actor. We're the vessel. So God is still involved in our world today. And He's calling us to be the vessel. But one of the other things I love in the Scripture that we learn about our God is our God is open to dialogue and conversation. I mean, Moses is going, wait a minute, who me? And they have the dialogue. I'll be with you. I'll be right there. And well, what's your name? And if you kept reading, you're going to keep hearing, well, I don't speak well. And there's a dialogue and exchange. There's a conversation. And isn't that what prayer is all about, is God is open to be in conversation with us. Conversation with God, that's prayer. Moses is having this conversation with God. And the rabbis who taught the Old Testament scriptures would often refer to divine condescension. The rabbis would teach God made his presence lowly in order to give room for humankind to enter into genuine conversation regarding the shape of the future. Did you catch that? God made His presence lowly through a bush, through a baby in a manger, in order to give room for humankind to enter into genuine conversation. I mean, what does that say about our God that our God is one who is relational and our God's one who's willing to act, but also a God who wants to be in conversation with you, dialogue with you, interchange, exchange with you and with me. and A God who says, I'm with you. I'll always be with you. The Wesley study Bible says the deliverance of Israel depends solely on the character and the power of God, not on human strength or weakness. It is weakness, rather. it is God. God is the one at work through us, always with us. Paul says, if God is for us, then who could dare be against us? Romans 8, 31. And finally... One of the things I love that God reveals in the Scripture, the epiphany that we receive, the manifestation of God, is the name of God. Moses said, but they're going to want to know, who's this God that sent you? What's his name? And God says, I am that I am. It's the Hebrew, Yahweh. Now, it's Y-H-W-H, and the Hebrew didn't have the vowels or vowel sounds, but the vowel letters. so it's Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Many of our Bibles now, when we read the Old Testament, you'll see the word LORD in all caps, because that's the name of God, Yahweh, that's actually there in the Scripture. But lest we dare take the Lord's name in vain, it would often be substituted for the word LORD, Adonai. God shares his name with us. But the beautiful thing about it is God shares his name, we didn't name God. You see, God created us in his image and and, and God God is one who gives us our name, but we we don't get to name God. It's not like when we do a golden calf and, and we get to name it something. No, that's idolatry. The moment we think we're naming God, that we put God in our image, that's idolatry. God created us in his image. We don't create God and create God in our image. And God's name is a name that God reveals to us. We don't get to name God. It's not a God we made. It's a God that reveals Himself to us. I think one of the temptations for the church today is we have a tendency to to want to create God in our image instead of being created in the image of God. That's the idolatry that I think even the church is so tempted to participate in today. So we bow down the name of God. I am that I am. John, in the Gospel of John, picks it up beautifully because there will be I am sayings in the Gospel of John where he uses the redundant Greek of ego me to go, I am, where Jesus is going, I'm God. I am God. And I'm the resurrection and the life, or the various ways he refers. Epiphany. It's a manifestation of God, a revelation of God. And I love the call of Moses. Yes, we can preach the sermon about this is what a calling looks like. But today, I hope you read the scripture and I invite you to read it again. Spend some time wrestling with it and hear not only about how God calls, But rather, what did the scripture teach us about God himself? A God who is not so distant that he's disengaged. But a God who hears, who sees, who is holy, and yet who is relational, who is beyond us, and yet gets involved with us. Your God who so loves the world, is an incredible God. And you know his name, because God loved you enough to tell you. He said, I am that I am. It's my name, it's my title for all generations. Tell them I am has sent you to them. It's an epiphany. Spend some time about a God and with a God who really wanted you to know who He is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.